0: So I'll just pick up where I think we left off. And if I repeat anything, no, you won't know. That's, that's the truth. These interior matters are so obscure to the mind that anyone with as little learning as I will be sure to have to say many superfluous and even irrelevant things in order to say a single one that is to the point. This is basically how it is. We're still talking about the soul. And, you know, I'm sure that there are people who are, OK, get on with it what's after the soul, I would still challenge anyone to tell me what a soul is. Tell me what a soul is and I'll stop talking about it. But I don't really think anybody's going to come up with an answer of what the soul is. So we'll talk about it a little bit more. But the reader must have patience with me, as I have with myself when writing about things of which I know nothing. For really. I sometimes take up my paper like a perfect fool with no idea of what to say or how to begin. I fully realize how important it is for you that I should explain certain interior matters to the best of my ability, for we continually hear what a good thing prayer is, and our constitutions oblige us to engage in it for so many hours daily. Yet they tell us nothing beyond what we ourselves have to do and say very little about the work done by the Lord in the soul. I mean supernatural work. And that's really the crux of it. You can talk about the soul, and we have. We've talked about it being pivotal in its action. We've talked about it being able to face one direction or 180 degrees the other direction. We've talked about it taking in impressions, data, whatever you choose to call it. I really don't care what you call it. Either through the five senses, so we're taking in the data that the world gives us, or we're turning to another source that is much more subtle, much more difficult to define, impossible to define, and what impressions or data we can take in from that direction. It's mystical. There's just no way to get around it. You're talking about spirit. You're talking about where spirit contacts, not the flesh directly, but the flesh indirectly through the soul. And that's hard because define spirit, define soul. Define one of those two things and you're halfway there, maybe, but probably not. It's tough, but it's good. What makes it good is we're turning toward God. It's so funny because yesterday or the day before, I don't really remember what day, I told Connie she was going to buy some plants or seeds or something, whatever you can get to redo the garden because it's that time of year. And I said, well, while you're out, Remember, I want to find out how to plant some purple sweet potatoes. So she said she's got a friend who does potatoes up in Alaska. She's like the potato queen. Of course, they're not sweet potatoes. Of course, sweet potatoes aren't sweet potatoes either. They're not potatoes. That's just not what they are. They're misnamed. Has really, when you think about it, so many things in life are misnamed. I mean, it's like the language is a joke anymore. So many words that we use. I've got a 1913 Webster's Dictionary that I use. And they're all the same words, just different meanings. Because in 1913, words meant different things than they do now because our language has been hijacked. And since our language has been hijacked and muddled, it's very difficult to be able to say anything because that was the purpose of hijacking our language was to make sure that we couldn't think straight, that we couldn't express ourselves in a succinct, clear, precise way. And it's worked. You know, the past 50 years, it's worked. Americans, and I'll just say Americans, because I don't really want to drag anybody else into this kicking and screaming, Americans have been dumbed down. We used to have one of the top educational systems in the world. Now we spend more money than anybody in the world on education and we are ranked so low that it's embarrassing to even talk about it, so I won't. Let's just say we're not doing so well. And the reason we're not doing so well is because language has been hijacked by political operatives who are trying to make us just as stupid as we are. And they've done a good job of it because I have to admit, we're stupid. Not just slow to apprehend, but painfully slow to apprehend. And we're suffering from the inability to think clearly and critically. And that's sad. But it's not the end of the world. It's just uh, the beginning of the end of the world. As I describe the things he does, meaning God, and give various explanations of them, it will be very helpful for us to think of this celestial building which is within us and is so little understood by mortals, although many of them frequent it. And although the Lord has thrown some light upon many matters of which I have written, I do not think I have understood some of them, especially the most difficult, as well as I do now. The trouble, as I've said, is that before I can get to them, I shall have to explain many things that are well known. It is bound to be so when a person is as stupid as I. I'm not as humble as her were maybe not as enlightened as her, so I really don't know how stupid I actually am. But I'm pretty sure it's pretty stupid. I mean, my gosh, if I had to match my education, which is not a bad education, I mean, I had a good education, and I never stopped. Some people, they go to college and then they stop. Some people go to, for a PhD and then they stop. The only people who really, I think, never stop are good musicians and um, good learners. People who understand that you're never going to be able to know what you need to know in this life. You're always going to come up short. You're always going to be lacking. There will never be enough to really get us there because it's not enough. It takes the spark of the spirit to enlighten man beyond what he can garner through the five senses. Let us now turn to our castle with its many mansions. You mustn't imagine these mansions as arranged in a row, one behind another. But fix your attention on the center, the room or palace occupied by the king. Think of a palmito. When I first read this, I looked up palmito because it doesn't seem that obvious to me. Do you know what a palmito is? And you speak Spanish, so yeah, it's it's a, yeah, well, actually what it is is heart of palm. I would have never guessed that. And obviously you didn't either, a little palm. Yeah, but a heart of palm is what we're talking about. So she says, think of a heart of palm, which has many outer rinds surrounding the savory part within all of which must be taken away before the center can be eaten. You can also think of a bamboo shoot. If you get a bamboo shoot, when it's young enough, it's tender enough to eat. Uh, As it gets older, it becomes inedible. We're talking the same kind of thing here. But what she's saying is all these surrounding bits have to be removed. They have to be taken away before the center can be eaten. Just so around this central room are many more, as there also are above it. In speaking of the soul, we must always think of it as spacious, ample, and lofty. And this can be done without the least exaggeration. For the soul's capacity is much greater than we can realize. And this sun, S-U-N, which is in the palace, reaches every part of it. It is very important that no soul which practices prayer, whether little or much, should be subjected to undue constraint or limitation. What she's saying is, free your mind. Free your mind from the limitations of the physical. That's what she's saying. When we see a palace or room, we see something that's defined by walls, we see something that's defined by whatever limitations are there for it. What she wants us to do is not see that. And I agree, that's something that we should try to get beyond. She goes on to say, since God has given it such dignity, meaning the soul, it must be allowed to roam through these mansions through those above, those below, those on either side. It must not be compelled to remain for a long time in one single room. Unfortunately, the soul doesn't have to be compelled to spend the long time in one single room because most people spend their entire lives in the courtyard. They never go inside. They never go any deeper. They're living in it, but they never discover it. They never open their eyes to it. They never breathe in the fragrance of the paradisal garden in the center. And that's sad, but it's not uncommon because spiritually we're pretty dead. I mean, I hate to say it, but spiritually we're pretty dead as, as a race of people. Now, obviously there are people who are enlightened or more enlightened, but we don't know those people. Jeez, how sad is it that probably one of the most enlightened people that you know, spiritually is me. And I consider myself a real dolt when it comes. I consider myself the same way she considers herself. Don't look to me, but we've got to look to something. You know, it's, it's better to light a single candle than to curse the darkness. So a single candle in the darkness, even if it's a little birthday candle, is better than nothing. So what we've got is me, which is better than nothing. Maybe not a lot better, but you know, it's still better than nothing. So she goes on to say how necessary that is, and be sure you understand me here, even to those whom the Lord keeps in the same mansion in which he himself is, however high a state the soul may have attained, self-knowledge is incumbent upon it, and this it will never be able to neglect, even should it so desire. Humility must always be doing its work like a bee making its honey in the hive. Without humility, all will be lost. I can't stress this enough. You know this. You've been around for 30, 35 years. You've been around here. So you know that pride goes before a fall and that pride is Satan's sin and that he shared it with us because he's so generous. And humans took to it like fish to water. Humans walk the earth too proudly. They think more highly of themselves than they ought. And when I say they, I mean us, we. So no matter who you are, you think more highly of yourself than you ought and you walk the earth too proudly. It just is a full time job to maintain any kind of grip on real humility. It's hard. It's hard because we breathe in pride. It's like we're living in it and it's very difficult to get beyond it. Very difficult. It must always be doing its work like a bee making its honey in the hive because without humility all will be lost still. We should remember that the bee is constantly flying about from flower to flower. And in the same way, believe me, the soul must sometimes emerge from self-knowledge and soar aloft in meditation upon the greatness and the majesty of its God. And this is going to be difficult because we spend years in meditation and prayer. Literally, you know, you figure out how much, well, maybe... I might put my foot in my mouth here, but I'll speak for myself. I figure out how much I have meditated in the past 50 years. I can promise you it amounts to years of meditation and prayer. Well, when you think of that, you have to realize that it becomes a habit. You get stuck in ruts. In prayer and meditation, you get stuck in ruts. You know this. You've meditated enough to know that you get stuck in a rut and you have to be knocked out of it. You have to be jolted out of it. You have to somehow yank yourself out of it. And it's not easy because we're lazy. We are lazy and we are also spiritually lazy, which is much worse than being just lazy. But I want to read this again. The soul must sometimes emerge from self-knowledge and soar aloft in meditation upon the greatness and the majesty of its God. But there's something beyond that. Now, she may not talk about it, but John of the Cross does. And so when it comes time, we'll switch over to John of the Cross, and we'll talk about it. And then it's going to be even more difficult than it is now. So buckle up. Doing this will help it to realize its own baseness better than thinking of its own nature, and it will be freer from the reptiles which enter the first rooms, that is, the rooms of self-knowledge. Well, of course self-knowledge is polluted. Of course it is, because of self-love, and self-interest, and self-centeredness, and self-absorption. All these things hinder us spiritually. Oh yes, there are steps on the path, but those steps have to be left behind if you wish to progress. And unfortunately, it's not a very well charted course. I only know of four books that are worth reading, and I've already told you what they are, so I won't burden you with that again, but I only know these four books that are worth reading on the subject. For although, as I say, it is through the abundant mercy of God that the soul studies to know itself, Yet one can have too much of a good thing, as the saying goes. And believe me, we shall reach much greater heights of virtue by thinking upon the virtue of God than if we stay in our own little plot of ground and tie ourselves down to it completely. You've got to see that this is true. You've got to see that thinking about God is way better than thinking about yourself. I mean, it's like, yeah. I do not know if I have explained this clearly. Self-knowledge is so important that even if you were raised right up to the heavens, I should like you never to relax your cultivation of it. So long as we are on this earth, nothing matters more to us than humility. There is no way, no way, that you can approach true humility without self-knowledge. You have to know what you are. And let's face it, none of us want to know what we are. We look at it. We get a smell of it. We get a whiff of it. It smells like dead things. It smells like rotting flesh. And when we get a look at it, it's ugly. It's dark. It's sordid. It's ugly. Now, of course, there are people who go, oh, no, no, that's not the way my soul is. Right. Okay. Then you don't belong here and you need to move somewhere else. You need to go on because there is nothing here for you. I have nothing for you. If that's what you want to think about yourself, I have nothing for you. If, on the other hand, you have the courage and the strength of will to look yourself in the face, to look at your soul, to look at yourself, to look at what you have become, if you're brave enough to look at that and face it, then there's hope for you. Then you found the right place and found the right podcast. Good for you. Now the hard part. I repeat that it is a very good thing, excellent indeed, to begin by entering the room where humility is acquired rather than by flying off to the other rooms. So here's the rush, here's the problem. When people find out that there's something more, that's what they want. They want something more. They don't want what they have anymore. You know, it's just like, I've watched this so many times, it's called covetousness. It's part of the human condition. We look at something, we see it, and we go, oh, I want that. And what we have may be better than that, but until we let go of what we have and grab that, and then have it for a while, I mean, you know, look at your garage, enough said. Look at your, you know, your closets, enough said. All these things you had to have, just had to have them. And now you're looking for a way to get rid of them. If you're smart, if you're not, well then you're still hoarding. And if you're hoarding, this isn't for you. In fact, I'm not sure what is for you. For that is the way to make progress. Spend time in that room that will help you gain some humility. And if we have a safe, level road to walk along, why should we desire wings to fly? Well, I can tell you why. Because we're impatient. We're Americans. We want it yesterday. And then we're being very patient when we say we want it yesterday. We really wanted it last week. But we'll settle for saying we want it yesterday. So, I mean, hello. Now that Amazon is taking more than two days to deliver stuff, we're all upset. Oh my God, it's gonna take till the, till the end of May to get this? What? Come on, admit it, you liars. We're spoiled and we're, we're incredibly impatient. You don't know how impatient you are until you stop and honestly look at yourself. You don't know how many tantrums you throw in a day until you stop and honestly look at yourself. It's embarrassing. Nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants to see this in themselves. You don't want to see what an awful person you are. How many people you grind up in your mind, you grind them up and you spit out what? Junk, because you've taken brothers and sisters and judged them and judged them harshly and condemned them. And you know the drill, it's disgusting, but it's what we do. And you've got to fight against that. And what makes that fight a lot easier is a good healthy dose of humility. Because then you understand that you are judging people who you need to be putting above yourself. You need to be taking the lower seat and giving them the higher seat. You need to be, when you break your candy bar in half and it doesn't break exactly in half, you need to be giving them the bigger half instead of keeping it for yourself and giving them the short straw. Get my drift? Yeah, good. It's not hard to get it. It's just hard to do it. (laughs) <laughs> when we cheat them, we're doing them a favor. I was talking to a friend of mine, like, oh, okay, I shouldn't call him a friend. I was talking to an acquaintance of mine the other day, and he was telling me, I, I have bagged on him about taking advantage of people who are in a tough situation. The guy makes a lot of money. He's a stockbroker. He makes an obscene, literally obscene amount of money. He spends an obscene amount of money on toys and junk and garbage and whatnot. It's truly obscene. But he doesn't know that. And so you know, he goes to buy something that he doesn't need, and he finds somebody who is distressed and has to sell. Why? Well, so that he can get the best possible deal, which is the lowest possible price. And he did that a few times and told me about it, and he was so proud of himself, how he really got a great deal. Well, what he didn't expect was my response, which was, you're a disgusting thief. (laughs) You're stealing from people. You're taking advantage of people who are distressed, and that is wrong. That is just wrong. I know that this is hard to take because everybody likes a bargain. Why else would you shop at Walmart? Well, aside from fact, that's the only place you can shop today. I mean, you can either shop there or just go directly to China. Those are your choices. And since the airfare to China is rather exorbitant, we shop at Walmart instead. Just to qualify here, I don't shop at Walmart. It's not that I have anything against Walmart. I don't. I don't have anything against Walmart. It used to be an American company. It's not anymore. I don't think there are any American companies left. There are a few, but we wouldn't know what they were. We've sold our souls for cheap products made by slaves or sweatshops so that we can have more junk to store in our garages and our closets. And who cares about those people? They're lucky that they get anything at all. So we're helping them, just like Curtis helps his diabetic friend by dishing out less ice cream to him than he does to himself. So that's the kind of help we're giving. I'm sorry to have to say all this. Not, yeah, no, I'm not sorry. I'm sorry that you have to deal with it. No, I'm not sorry. I'm glad, I'm glad that you have to deal with it. This is why I do what I do. I do what I do because you're not gonna get this anywhere else. Well, that's not entirely true. Fight Club, you might get it at Fight Club. You know, hit me as hard as you can. <laughs> you might get it at Fight Club. You might get it if you watched uh, Dirty Harry with a guy who pays some black guy to beat him up, you know, and he gives him a good licking, and so that he can say the cop beat him up and... So, you know, there's that. But I can't think of any place else you're gonna get it. And not only that, but this is the truth. She says, for that is the way to make progress. And if we have a safe level road to walk along, why should we desire wings to fly? Well, we won't go into that because we do desire wings to fly. I'm trying to pull your wings off because you're not ready to fly. Let us rather try to get the greatest possible profit out of walking. As I see it, we shall never succeed in knowing ourselves unless we seek to know God. Duh! How can you possibly know yourself, truly know yourself, your real self, unless you know God, there's, there's no way because you're created in his image and his likeness. So to know him is to get a clue about yourself. But of course, the self that we know doesn't bear much resemblance to the God that she knows. It bears a lot of resemblance to the God that we've created in our image and after our likeness, but that's not God. That's why I don't like the term God really don't like using the term because God backwards is dog and a lot of people have God backwards and they have created a God in their image and likeness. They have created an anthropomorphic God when clearly he is not anthropomorphic. He is not. He's not that. He's spirit. And since we don't know what spirit is, we just clothe it with something that we're familiar with, which is he's a big man in the sky. He's got a long white beard, and he wears robes, and oh my God, it's just absurd. But that's what most people are. That's where most people are. As she says, uh, we'll never know ourselves unless we seek to know God. So let's think of his greatness, and then come back to our own baseness. By looking at his purity, we shall see our foulness. By meditating upon his humility, we shall see how far we are from being humble. Well, you know, it's like anything else. You want to make something that's white, whiter. Put it next to something that's black. The contrast will make it appear brighter, whiter. That is what happens when we contrast ourselves to God. We see how dark we really are. Well, not how dark we really are, but we get a better idea, let's put it that way. I'm not sure any of us could face how dark we really are now. Perhaps it would be easier for you to face if you were to say how confused you are now. That's so much softer, so much easier to swallow, that you're confused. Why are you confused? Well, because you've got all these voices in your head, hundreds, perhaps thousands of voices chirping away like crickets on a hot summer night. And they're all chirping in your ears and you select one sound or another sound and that's what you're listening to. And then you say to that, I think, I think this, I think that. When you don't know what you think, all it is is a voice in your head that you're calling I. And in two seconds, that'll change. And there'll be another voice in your head you're calling I. Well, which one is you? Well, it depends on which one you're identified with at the moment. I just went over the heads of a lot of people, but fortunately not you. So you've been through this. We spent years in this, so I don't have to explain it to you, so I won't. There are two advantages in this. First, it's clear that anything white looks very much whiter against something black. Oh, I I just, two great minds, huh? Just as the black looks blacker against the white. Secondly, if we turn from self towards God, our understanding and our will become nobler and readier to embrace all that is good. Well, if you want to enlarge your capacity for love, look to the source of love. Just by looking to the source of love, you automatically expand your ability to love because you cannot help but see how much you are loved. And when you see how much you are loved, man, it breaks down some walls. I mean, fortunately, you can't see how much you really loved because if you did, you'd probably melt, truly. You would probably just melt into a puddle of snot and liquid on the floor. I know because I have done that. I have melted into a puddle of snot and liquid, salty tears on the floor. And I couldn't move just because of a little touch from God, just because he breathed in my direction. You, there's no standing before God. Look at Daniel, an angel was sent to him. He's praying and an angel sent to him. The angel shows up and what's Daniel do? He collapses. He just cannot even stand. He just falls down on his face, trembling. The angel says, don't sweat it, dude, you know, reaches out a hand, touches him, says, you're highly favored by God. Don't be afraid. The amazing thing about God, the amazing thing about angels is every time that they have any interaction with human beings, they've got to tell them, have courage, don't fear. And it's because we turn to jello. In the presence of something so magnificent, so shining, so wonderful, so full of life and love and truth and mercy. See, these are things that people in the world don't talk about. They don't talk about these things because it's not important to them. Love, light, truth, judge They talk about love, but they're talking about February 14th love. They're talking about Valentine's Day. They're talking about hearts and flowers and balloons. They're not talking about love. They're talking about that other thing that human beings call love as an opposite, which is called hate. Love has no opposite because it is everything. We just don't know it. But the more you know it, the more humble you become. And remember, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that kind of humility. If we never rise above the slew of our own miseries, we do ourselves a great disservice. I don't like to have to talk about this, but I have to talk about this because, you know, I love you guys devotedly, as you know, or else I would not have done this for as many years as I've done this because I don't have to. I mean, I I could understand if I had to do this, you know, well, he doesn't have any choice. He has to do this. He's got to earn money. He's got to. No, I don't. I don't have to do this. I do this for two reasons. The first reason is because I love the Lord. And the other reason is because I love the Lord, which means I have to love you. Now, sometimes you make it a little more difficult. And one of the ways you make it difficult is by your constant complaining about trivial, stupid things. I saw a film one time. It was a horror film. I was a kid. I think I saw it at a drive-in. Maybe not. Yeah, I think I saw it at a drive-in. It was just a horrible, horrible, like, uh, what do they call them? B-movies? It was it was a Z-movie. It, it was just bad. And um, in it, these, these people, they stumble into this town. And one of them cuts their... Finger or something, their thumb. That was it. They cut their thumb on something. It was a pretty bad cut. So they go to the doctor's office. But unfortunately, the town has been taken over by some kind of madman, you know, bloodthirsty idiots or whatever you want to say. I don't know. Whatever, like Jason, you know, or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or whatever other stupid stuff you can think of. Anyway, they go to this doctor's office and the, this guy comes in and he's supposed to be the doctor and he's going to... So she's this girl, she's got her thumb cut, she's all whining and it's the worst thing ever happened to her. You know, I could fix that. He takes out an ax and chops her arm off. Well, I got to tell you that she didn't care about her thumb anymore. So my point is if you want to get beyond your current miseries, all you have to do is get a bigger problem. A bigger problem solves all the little problems. For example, Jess is at work and he's working away on a table saw and there he goes I'm gonna shove this piece of wood through here and wham it kicks back and 14 stitches later He finds out that a flying piece of wood can do a lot of damage And you know what whatever thoughts he had whatever worries he had whatever concerns He had right up until that instant instantly disappeared and the only thing he could think of is well I got to get this fixed and pronto Now, maybe he paused. In fact, I know he paused to give thanks to God that it was on the upper side of his arm instead of the side of his arm, the underside that has all the veins because he'd have probably bled out before he could have gotten help. So smart people have smart people. When I say smart people, I mean spiritual people because they're the only smart people in my opinion. And when I say spiritual people, I mean truly spiritual people, not these phony baloney crystals gazing nitwits (laughs) <laughs> I'm talking about people who really genuinely seek God. I'm not talking about people who you know have magic feathers and crystals and whatever. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about real people. Anyway, those people, those smart people, the first thing they think is, "Oh my God, thank you, Lord, for thank you." That's what they that's what I think. If something happens to me that's unexpected and it's a near catastrophe or a catastrophe, First thing out of my mouth is, Lord, thank you, because I'm grateful that I'm conscious enough to know my creator, to know my source, the source of my life. We were saying just now how black and noisome are the streams that flow from souls in mortal sin. Similarly, although this is not the same thing, God forbid, it's only a comparison so long as we're buried in the wretchedness of our earthly nature, these streams of ours will never disengage themselves from the slew of cowardice and fear. We shall always be glancing around and saying, are people looking at me or not? If I take a certain path, shall I come to any harm? Dare I begin such and such a task? Well, this is especially poignant today. When you have last poll was 64% of the people in the United States of America are afraid to go out of their houses. When they do go out of their houses, they put on masks and gloves and silly outfits. And I've seen some silly outfits, scuba gear, uh, five gallon water containers on their heads, cut out, put on their heads. I mean, it's when you, I know it's funny, but that's how afraid they are. And what they're really saying is, if I take a certain path, shall I come to any harm? Whereas whereas I just don't think like that. I think totally differently. When this whole pandemic thing started, I went to God about it. I said, well, what's the deal? And he said, God talks to you? Yeah, he's a very verbal God. God has a lot to say, in case you never checked. There's 66 books in the Bible and that's a lot of words. So yeah. That's just the primer. That's the reader. That's your first grade reader. The Bible is your first grade reader. After that, you've got to spend a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of years honing your ability to listen, to hear, to focus. That's hard. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But you can tell how hard it is by how many people aren't doing it. I do digress. I know that. And I don't care. But I never asked that. I went to God and I said, well, what about this? And he said, a thousand shall fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only behold with your eyes, the recompense of the wicked. Now I am no judge. So I can't tell you who's wicked and who's not, because I don't know because I don't see the heart. God sees the heart. I don't see what he sees. So I have no ability to judge who's wicked or who's not. Now, that being said, I sure know wicked fruit when I taste it. I sure know wicked fruit when I smell it. I sure know rotten fruit when I see it. People do bear fruit. And when their fruit is rotten, I know to stay away from it, whether they're wicked or not. So I don't need to say they're wicked in order to say that's not the fruit I want. So I never worried about it again. I don't know why I believed what I heard. Now, of course, I didn't hear a voice say, blah, 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 blah. Of course, I've heard it because I've read it so many times. Psalm 91. It just sprang into my head, came out of my reader, jumped into my head, and I mixed it with faith. And when I mixed it with faith, it became concrete. It became solid. It became tangible, palpable. And I knew that a thousand would fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, and I knew it would not come near me. Now, I'm right in the age group. People are supposed to be dying of this. You know, like a couple of weeks, I'll be 73. Now, unfortunately, I can't die of this. I'm gonna have to die of something else. Darn, now I gotta look for something else. Because I gotta tell you, I'm not thrilled with this planet. I'm not thrilled with the way it's going. I'm not thrilled with the people crawling around on it. Nothing about it really thrills me, except the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees that we haven't spoiled. Those are the things that, and the bunnies too. Those are the things I enjoy and I enjoy you. I like to be around you because it's easier than it used to be because you have evolved and grown. You've changed. You've become more loving and more lovable. You've become less selfish, apart from the ice cream. But, you know, ice cream is always the last thing to go. I mean, my goodness, some of our finest representatives have freezers full of ice cream. Good ice cream, too, not just junk ice cream. I mean, we're not talking Breyers or Kroger's or we're talking, you know, $20 a pint ice cream. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) what? you can't make this up. (laughs) That is uh, the wretchedness of our earthly nature. That's what packs... $24,000 $24,000 freezers full of $20 a pint of ice cream is our wretchedness, the <laughs> the wretchedness of our earthly nature. Our earthly nature is horrible. We kill each other. We steal from each other. We, we Every disgusting thing that human beings have ever done to each other forever has come out of their human nature. It's corrupt it's irredeemable in and of itself Something has to come from outside to cleanse it to purify it to set it right and nobody's looking in the right direction or very few people are looking in the right direction yeah we're gonna have to stop pretty soon here i, I can see that right now dare i begin such and such a task is it pride that is impelling me to do so Can anyone as wretched as I engage in so lofty an exercise as prayer? Will people think better of me if I refrain from following the crowd? For extremes are not good, they say, even in virtue. And I am such a sinner that if I were to fail, I should only have farther to fall. Perhaps I shall make no progress, and in that case I shall only be doing good people harm anyway person like myself has no need to make herself or himself singular. This is a trick that the ego plays on us when we talk about humility, because that's not humility, that's self-negation. That's not humility. True humility, someone who thinks that would never recognize, they would never see it as true humility. They would be appalled that anyone would have the audacity to stand or to go to God because we're not worthy. And we're not, but we can go boldly into the throne room because we know something they don't know and we're not telling them. So here's where we're gonna stop because it's a good place to stop. It's time to stop and I'm done.